I'm Quinn Murphy, and this is In My Chair. All right. Today I'm with actor, writer, director, Alison Brie. Uh, You've seen her on the iconic series like Mad Men, Community, Glow, and in films like How to Be Single, The Post, Happiest Season, which I just watched the day before yesterday, The Rental, and my favorite, which she also wrote, Horse Girl. Um, To my count, I've been working with Alice and I had to go on Instagram and look back since 2014. She was in New York for the Tribeca Film Festival for um, Sleeping with Other People. And then since then, till, you know, COVID, we've done countless red carpets and press tours and premieres and editorials, and it's just gotten better and better. I can honestly tell you that she's one of my favorite people to work with, and I'm actually proud that I can say she's a friend. So welcome to the show, Allison. Hi, thank you. What a wonderful <laughs> intro. Oh. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you did that math because... I I couldn't remember the first time that we had worked together. And I love that look for the Sleeping with Other People Tribeca premiere, which was like very low key. It was. That's a funny one because everyone's trying to be like, it's a glam red carpet, but then everyone's like, this is the actor's festival. So we also want to look like, you know, we're serious. Right. We're respectable. Well, that's been the tricky balance of all COVID press over zoom is you're like, so do you want, we're going to send people over to do your hair and makeup in masks outside, but then we're going to tell them to do it in a way that doesn't look too done. Like you could have done it yourself. I'm like, maybe I, should just do it myself like yeah I don't know. they're all outside on the on the deck like you know m- motioning tutorial. to you yeah <laughs> blot blot you're getting shiny oh my god wait speaking of which before we go any further i said it already but how is the deck oh my god the deck was finished right before everything locked down and it was it's been a godsend like have you just I been mean, in the pool and like that's how yes. I picture you over COVID in I like mean, a yeah. two-piece. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yes. It's like the first time in years because I'm usually just like so pale skinned, but I used to get really tan as a kid. And oh, this is such a like asshole thing to talk about because it's obviously been such a hard year for everybody. But it was like, we live in LA. So it was just the best thing that could have happened that this outdoor work that, as you know, we've been doing for over three years was finally done before we were trapped in our home. And we were sort of like, Oh, I mean, this is all right. This is Perfect okay. Timing. Yeah. yeah. Out okay. I mean, take whatever pleasure you can get. I think everybody's entitled to like uh, whatever thing they can do to kind of treat themselves over COVID. Totally. Yes, I agree. Anything you have to do to get through. So what have you, I mean, I have to ask, what, what have you been doing? I haven't, I usually would have seen you at least like three or four times by now this year. Oh my God, yeah. What have, what have you been doing during COVID? Do celebrities get COVID? Like, do they? (laughs) No, 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 no. Oh, okay. Uh, (laughs) They do. I feel like, you know, we all know about Tom Hanks. And Mm -hmm. if you watched Kevin Hart's recent stand-up special, he admits that he had it as well. A lot um, of people got it, especially oh, in yeah. March, I feel like. Yeah. I mean, we we were very diligent about the lockdown and really, like, hunkered down and, like, everybody tried to get as much toilet paper and then, like, and groceries as possible, like, in a weird, obscene way. Like, totally. you know, <laughs> just had the, the countertops covered with, like, bags of rice and stuff that eventually I had to be like, should I, where are we going to put all this? Should I throw it out? 
Um, were you were you wiping down groceries with like disinfectant and all that? A little. I feel like the first there were a couple early like funny moments of like a delivery guy coming to drop something off and we accidentally like, you know, we have like an outer gate. And then once you're in the gate, our house is like all windows, you know? So there was just like a funny thing, you know, early quarantine, like the UPS guy came and we accidentally buzzed him into the gate instead of just telling him like, leave the package outside the gate. And the next thing we know, Davey and I are standing in the living room, just like, I was yelling at him being like, how could you buzz him in? He's he's coming in. He's bringing the COVID in. And then the guy was just standing there. He could see us and hear us. He was like, I'll just leave it outside the door right here. I was like, oh, great. Thank you, sir. Uh, no offense. Like, <laughs> It's not you. It's everybody else. And I feel like for the first two kind of packages, because the grocery shopping I did right before the shutdown and stood in lines, like, you know, for two hours at the grocery store. Um, but then the first couple packages that got delivered we did like go outside with gloves and like basically in a hazmat suit and tried to kind of wipe stuff down and like just walk like around the block to throw the garbage outside in a trap. And then we sort of were like, this feels extreme. I think it's yeah. probably fine. Um, Do you remember is, the first yeah. time going out into a public place? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah, I bet it was to go to like Walgreens to pick up my birth control prescription. <laughs> so like had to do actually that's exactly what it was because I remember being horrified that I might not be able to go pick it up because everything was shutting down and I got some text message from the pharmacy that was like this has been delayed and I was sort of like, "Oh, it's kind of something you got to take." Every day, it's really not. I can't skip a month, you know. Uh, so I was kind of nervous. COVID about it. doesn't understand if it's you know if it's your birth control or not. COVID's well, still there. That's clearly true. The oh well, I was going to say that everyone's been getting pregnant during COVID times, so I didn't want to. <laughs> I didn't want to fall victim to that trap. I feel um, like everyone's going to get pregnant because in the beginning they were having sex, and by like month. <laughs> six oh, yeah. like everyone's like don't come near me I have the sofa you have the bedroom like 100 everyone I know is on the same schedule where I feel like there's going to be all these there's like a lot of December January February uh COVID babies totally that's so funny so wait and also you've had this amazing year where you've had like I counted four projects come <laughs> out uh yeah it feels so weird like yeah what is that just, like well it, you know what? It's all been, I've been pretty, honestly, pretty Zen about everything. I think that the one thing that COVID and this whole year has done has put everything in perspective. And so it's been strange for me, yeah, to probably have the most amount of films come out in a year than I've ever had before, but it's happening during the worst year for the world Ever. for society, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, so that's been a weird thing to reconcile. I think it made me a little uncomfortable in terms of like promoting stuff right. at first, because, you know, cause obviously there are more important things going on than talking about like watch my movie. But, but then ultimately I, I do think, 
entertainment is so important. And, and at the same time, that's been proven during this year when everyone's trapped in their homes. And you're like, what, what are you spending your time doing? Aren't you watching shows, watching movies? And it's I think- the number one topic of conversation. It's like I ask people, what are you watching? I've never watched more series or movies in my life. Same. Oh, same. Davey's keeping a list and it's like over 200 or so. It's just like we're watching, like we're watching two a day or something. It's like, um, are you not, doing not like murder mystery stuff? Always. I do it all. I'm back in a murder podcast that I'll put on while I'm like cleaning out the kitchen or taking a walk. You know, LA is sort of back into lockdown like we were at the beginning. So I feel like, um, well, because you had asked what we've been doing. And I actually have felt very productive uh, during this quarantine because because I've had all these movies come out. (laughs) So I've been doing so much zoom press for them which is like this the whole new world that we're all used to now and also dave and i wrote a script and i wrote another script with my writing partner jeff baina who i had written horse girl with so writing which had never been a big part of my life before horse girl i mean not a part of my life at all i did not have an interest in writing and i just didn't have the inspiration i feel like i was always people were always telling me like you should write you got to write your own material and i was like ugh. It's so funny. That sounds boring. <laughs> it's kind of what they tell writers: like, go away, like, go to a, a cabin, like, don't talk and isolate yourself. Yeah. And then you're like, or there'll be a global <laughs> pandemic, and then you know, stay home and write. It's true. Well, the beginning of the year, it, you know, again, as I look at like all these projects I had coming out, and like January, February for me couldn't have been more busy. It was like. Sundance for Horse Girl. And then I was in Florida shooting, um, you know, I shot an episode of this show, Marvel 616, a a documentary anthology series that's on Disney Plus and it's out now. Um, And so I was shooting an episode of that, like in Brandon, Florida, outside of Tampa. And then it was like, then I was in Pittsburgh shooting uh, Happiest Season. And then I was home and we started shooting Glow. You know, we shot two seasons or two seasons, Jesus, two episodes (laughs) before that got shut down. And so Dave and I had had this idea that we wanted to write and we had been talking about, we had been outlining it just sort of like, in our lot, you know, like brushing our teeth, yeah. being like, when, what if the, the main character does this? And he was like, when will we find a time? He was exactly, basically saying exactly what you're saying, which is like, maybe we should even get a hotel room for a weekend or, and like do a, like lock ourselves down. So we'll have this time to write. And then, <laughs> and God then it happened globally. Prayer. Well, uh, and also we sort of thought, you know, like everybody, we were so naive here in America. Um, So when the shutdown first happened, and because we were in production on Glow, it was sort of like, okay, the mandate is we're going to go down for two weeks. So we really went into writer mode being like, okay, we've got two weeks. Let's knock this out. And we were writing every day. And then it was sort of like, oh, it's going to be a little longer (laughs) than two weeks. (laughs) So now I feel like the, the place everyone was in at the start of quarantine um, where they were all like cleaning out their closets and their makeup drawer and all that stuff. I'm doing that now. <laughs> oh man, that's dark. Yeah, <laughs> it finally caught up to me. Like my my agents called me the other day and they were like, "What are you doing?" I was like, "I'm I'm cleaning out my makeup drawer. Um, <laughs> it oh needed to God. be done. I'm glad I did it." So what happened with Glow? Did you guys go back to filming when everything came back? <sighs> no, it's canceled. Oh, so I thought I knew 
I thought it was a planned. Fi- I'm sorry. I thought it was a planned final season, and that you had started two episodes, and then we're going to finish. No, it was a planned. It was you're half correct, which is it was a planned final season. So it, it's our. It was our fourth season. It was meant to be the final season. So I'd already kind of wrapped my head around right. the fact that the show was ending. We shot two episodes. Well, we, we shot for two weeks, which was you know one and three quarters of an episode essentially. And then everything shut down and the show just get, kept getting pushed and pushed. You know, the physical nature of the show with COVID as production started to go back in the works, there didn't seem to be a quick way to get glow back in. It's such um, an ensemble show. I don't oh know my how. God. And, and it couldn't be more physical. There's just, there's no social distancing. You're, you're in the ring. I joke with people that like two days before the shutdown, I was rehearsing a big match in the ring with Chavo Guerrero Jr., our wrestling coach. And like, he made a joke. We did a move and he like kind of licked his lips and was like, is that, uh, what kind of deodorant is that? Is that uh, spirit or something? Like, I was like, it's Dove. Like, it's like, that's how intimate wrestling is. Like he had licked my armpit because of the way that I like went over his face. Like it, it couldn't be it's, it's, it would be a tricky show to do with COVID restrictions. And I think the show just kept getting pushed and pushed and pushed. And eventually we got the sad news that it just is not going to be possible for us to come back and do the fourth season. So how did you take that? So. Um, yeah, I would say that it went through just like all the stages of, of grief as yeah. one does. Again, again, I guess... I've been in this sort of Zen mindset all year of feeling really grateful for the things I have, the place I'm at in my life. Like I've already been feeling so lucky that like I can afford to, to not work during this time that we have a home that we are so comfortable in that I love my husband. Like, so the news is horrible, you know, in, in, in certain ways, of course I, I, wish we could have said goodbye to the characters in the way that we wanted to. And it does make me kind of sad, even that we, you know, we shot this great first episode that has a big wrestling match in it and no one will ever see it. But, um, in the The least they could do is release it on YouTube, you know, like, I know. Well, I don't think they even ever edited it. I was like, it's Netflix. Can't they just drop the first episode? It feels like it's contained. It's yeah, like, just we all have GarageBand on our computer, like send it over. But ultimately, yeah. in the scheme of things, like given the year that we're having, it just feels silly to me to be like, but my the final season of my show isn't good. I don't know. I like I'm but like, that, that's life. I feel like uh, you can always find a way to be like, I'm great. I'm I'm grateful and thankful for what I have. But at the same time, you kind of have to feel your feelings, too, or else they'll haunt you forever. You know, of course, like of course, I think, I think, yeah, but it just, I think it didn't hurt as, I, you know, I'm disappointed to not make the fourth season, but I, uh, I do sort of understand that it wasn't personal totally, and I feel grateful that we made three amazing seasons and it's kind of cool that the show will just get to live in that place forever. Like it'll be on Netflix. I imagine as long as Netflix exists and people can still go back and watch those seasons and or I, discover it for the first time, you know, totally. And I, I just got so much from this show. I'm sure I've said to you so many times that glow was life changing for me, like in every way you could imagine. Mm. So I already feel like I came out of the experience. Like, I don't know what else I 
could have gained <laughs> even right. from doing one more season. I already got so much from the show and from those incredible people now, that I worked with. On on another thing that might be a benefit is that you probably aren't missing wearing that much makeup and the mullet haircut. The I would say the haircut more than the <laughs> makeup. I was definitely like spent this year my hair just growing. You know, I so I got it cut for the show at the very end of February or beginning of March. And then it's just grown all year. And so I did have a moment of like, God, my hair hasn't been this long in so long. And I'm kind of enjoying it. And oh, God, I'm going to have to perm it and mullet it again. Like, <laughs> um, and then wait, correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't the mullet your idea? Oh, yeah. <laughs> also, we're calling it a mullet. It really was more of a shag. It a was shag. an 80s I mean, yeah. permed shag. It was totally my idea. Um, but, and like everything on a TV show, one of those things that like in season one feels like a great idea. And by season three, you're like, Oh, I gotta do that haircut again. <laughs> you still have to walk by yourself in the mirror, you know, on your day off and be like, Oh, you know, yeah, again, the first, the first month of COVID, I just was like, I'm just trapped in my house with this hair, huh? Just, just gotta live with this hair. But the makeup side of it actually it's so, it was such an interesting job glow in terms of makeup because it, it, it's a, it's in one show, it's the show on which I wore the most makeup and the least makeup. Wow. Yeah. You know, my character, uh, Ruth Wilder, when she was not in the ring, there was like a real mandate that came from Liz and Carly, our showrunners that like, I should not wear any makeup on the show. And they would always come up to me and Lana Horchowski, our makeup artist, like she'd be putting chapstick on me and they'd come over and be like, what are you doing? What are you putting on her? And she'd be like, yeah. it's chapstick. It's just a clear chat. Just want to, I feel like she's allowed to have moist lips. Her lips are <laughs> supposed to be dry. She's not the kind to moisturize her lips. So please take it off. But So you they, really had nothing on in those scenes? Here's what I'll say. I, well, I always had eyebrows, which was really more of a period choice because the show's set in the 80s. Right. And so we really would like thicken um, my eyebrows and which, you know, was great for me because I don't ever want to not have an eyebrow on. Um, and then we would use um, my favorite color science corrector yes. palette, which is a mineral based concealer, powder concealer. And you turned me on to actually, I always have it in my kit now and I've recommended it to so many people. It is it to this day is my number one. Like that's, it's honestly my dream to just have eyebrows and my, my color and science. <laughs> All I want is eyebrow and spot conceal. That's it. That's, it's true. It's absolutely true. Especially because I have a little bit of melasma. So my skin, I have like a little bit of discoloration at the tops of my cheeks um, you know, and like a little couple spots on my forehead. So I was sort of like, I'm so happy to not wear makeup on this show, but can I just want to kind of just can I just even out these couple little spots or God forbid, you know, if I have a zit, you know, one day, can't we cover that a little? I want Ruth to right. feel real. And I like that she's the type of woman who doesn't wear makeup. But let me have a little dignity. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I will say it was it was so freeing right away in season one, I I just, it made me realize how 
every other job of my career, you know, I've always really felt like you have to be pretty, you have to be attractive all the time. And it really changed kind of even everything about how I carried myself on set and in life. It kind of like had this great ripple effect where I was like, oh, my confidence doesn't have to come from having like pretty girl makeup on. Um, and pretty girl hair. Like it couldn't have been further well, <laughs> from that. I, I also think just watching a show and, and when you see people, you're like, yeah, that would be, she wouldn't be wearing anything. And it just seems more believable. Where like, I feel like there was a time in like the eighties or nineties where everything was kind of a little in certain types of films was a little bit more, you know, um, just kind of Hollywood. And they put things on, even if it was no makeup, you could still see that they were like oh. perfect. Oh, God, still, I mean, to this day, all the time, I'll call it out now, especially when I'm watching something and I'll be like, oh, she's just getting up. Like, it's like there's always that shot of a woman. And I've I've done it, too, when I've I'm sure I've been in I'm sure I've been in movies where they put like a full face of makeup on me for the scene where you're like just waking up in the morning and getting out of bed. Yeah, (laughs) it's so it's just like so absurd. <laughs> totally. It's like the only people who do that in real life are like the real housewives, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like every every real woman over 30 knows that you can't sleep in your makeup. It's terrible for your skin. Totally. You know, I mean, but so I was thinking about like all the shows that you've been on. Actually, almost I want to say every show was had a real strong hair and makeup directive and almost was a, a period. Like, so Trudy was for Mad Men. And I always mm-hmm. want to say Med Men because you know, <laughs> Trudy from Med Men. dispensary. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So you did 60s, then you did yes. 80s for Glow. Mm-hmm. Community was like waspy, like... I want to say conservative waspy 90s, early Community 2000s. Community was technically just current i think we started shooting it in 09 <laughs> question mark i only know that because we just sell it we're celebrating like the 10 year and then like 11 year you know the community right. fans are like uh your fans will best. call it out oh all every day they'll be like it's the 10 year anniversary of this episode <laughs> from season two i'm like okay you guys yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got it it's a little um, <laughs> but the, the you're definitely right that like even though community was just a current show it still really had a point of view and the character i was playing was was really a character and a departure also i was playing someone that was like 6 years younger than i was i was 26 uh oh more than 6 years younger i was 26 when i started working on community and i was playing an 18 year old so so 8 years <laughs> younger um and and very type a she was supposed to be nerdy and you you can it's interesting if you go go back and watch um the community pilot and then the rest of the episodes you can actually see that i'm wearing more makeup There, there was sort of a makeup evolution on that show because the character is like 
growing up and evolving and changing. Um, but also when you, you, you know, you shoot a traditional pilot and then it's like months later when you shoot the show and it might not even be the same hair and makeup team. And in that case, it was not. Cause you um, don't even know if the, the pilot, if it's going to get picked up, probably it, most of the time they don't. Right. Exactly. And you can tell when you watch it that they like put a little extra, like, why do I have like a slight smoky eye <laughs> or something? <laughs> Different then, in every scene. It's like, yeah. And then once we get into the, the meat of the real show, it's like very, just like young, innocent girl makeup. I always remember that there was like a lot of blush, a lot of good lashes, right. but like a light lid, you know. Totally. Um, I'm like thinking that. like a, a Reese Witherspoon, like early Election. college movie. Yeah, yes, totally. 100%. But an interesting fact about Mad Men and Glow as it pertains to, to um, period hair and makeup um, is that we had the same hair and makeup team on both of those shows. Wow. So Teresa Rivers uh, did, was doing my hair on, on Mad Men and on Glow. And Lana Horachowski was the head of the makeup department on Mad Men and then, and then also on Glow. They're so, so talented because the genres and the, even just as a makeup artist watching it like are so different. Oh, my God. They are incredible. And I just adore them also as people, as you know, uh, even though we work, obviously, we work like job to job and it's not like every day. But, uh, you know, that's your for every actor. That's your first stop. When you get to set, you drop your stuff down, you go right into hair and makeup. It's how you start your day. So it's early, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely. At the start of every week, we're in at like five. But but, you know, even like with you before any event, it sets the tone for everything is like, totally. it's like you're chatting, you're sitting, you're checking in, you gossip about everything. So you really have a relationship with those people. And it was fun. It was really fun to kind of go job to job with Teresa and Lana, because on Mad Men, I mean, that was like my one of my first jobs. And Mad Men as How a How old show, were you when you got on that show? 24. Okay. So we started it two years before community started and Mad Men. I think a lot of people know that like Mad Men was so Matt Weiner's vision. So our, our creator, Matt Weiner, it all started with him and he really was specific about every aspect of the show. So there wasn't as much room, you know, it, it, I think it's always a collaborative process, but like that show more than the other shows I've been on were very much like Matt, is the end all be all of course as every showrunner kind of is. Right. But, um, and then and he also, hired, yeah. it was your big, I don't want to say it was your big break. Cause I don't know that, but it was definitely like you were coming into this big show. It's not like you're going to necessarily say, well, this is how I see the characters. Makeup. To- oh, exactly. Totally. It's like my first job recurring on a show. I, I would just have done whatever they wanted. And of course I was going to say too, that like the, the credit goes to also him hiring these like amazing people who are great at their job. So like, I'm not going to sit there and argue with Teresa rivers, like what a sixties hairstyle should look like, you know? And, and there really wasn't room for it. It was like, hi, nice to meet you. We're going to chop your hair (laughs) to your shoulders. Here's how we're going to do it. This is what the look is. Great. Do you have, you're going to paint your nails pink while you're in the hair chair. By the time you get to makeup, they can dry and then you'll get dressed. And it really, so like, while it was not up to me, it certainly, informed who that character was, who Trudy was. And I was so able to connect with her once I was through hair and makeup. And then in my costume, Janie Bryant was our costume designer. And like, 
the clothes just said so much. I mean, first of all, it got you right into the era. And then they just said so much about who those people were and the hair and makeup too. So because it was such a departure from Allison as in your daily life that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Not the, I, I imagine that as an actor, there's the words on the page and that to get you into character, but also physically just being in that wardrobe. Oh, 100%. And I am as an actor, hair and makeup and wardrobe are major for me in terms of how I get into character and on something like on something like Mad Men that makes it so easy because like you said it's so different from me and the clothes like very literally affect the way you move you're in a full girdle you're like in stocking like they're very binding they really affect how you sit and like totally so that is doing I, i'm like totally like i know what it's like to <laughs> you wear a girdle know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like it it just made it so easy to get in character right away and even the hair and makeup and nails like you just sort of go like oh well i'm not gonna have my hair and makeup looking like this and carry myself like a fucking slob like i got you know it that informs that but like so oh sorry go ahead no go ahead i was gonna say so what do you do if you're if you ever been on a project where you were like this ain't this ain't it like i this is not how i see the character or i just don't feel good in it like what happens then i i guess i maybe have but i I would say that over the course of my career, as my confidence has grown, I become more vocal about that kind of stuff. And the truth is that usually I have outside of Mad Men and really community, I feel like probably for the community pilot, I didn't have a lot of input. But once we started going, I would be very vocal about my opinions about the character's hair and makeup And on any job these days, it's one of the first things that I'll talk about with the director to be like, here's how I see the character. So I definitely come in with a strong point of view, but I do think it should be collaborative. And again, of course, you, especially on jobs where you have uh, hair and makeup people that are really great, (laughs) you want their input because you're sort of like, I'm, I'm thinking it's the same way I feel with you, when I'm doing hair and makeup for a red carpet, I'm like, I'm like, okay, it starts with here's what I'm wearing. So we're going to base it here. We know that that is the given here's and here's what the event is. So we're sort of like, what's appropriate for that event. But then it's sort of like, maybe I come in with some ideas, but I don't know how to do hair and makeup the way you do. That's why you, I hire you to do my, my makeup, right. you know? And so it's like, I want to trust if I tell you, here's the vibe I'm going for, then I trust that you're going to do the thing that's going to affect that vibe. So it's like, I feel like it should be a collaboration, but I'm definitely going to come to the hair and makeup chair on any job and say, like, happiest season. I think this woman has stick straight hair. I think she is like, she does the same thing every day. She is like tightly wound. She wants everything to be perfectly in its place. And the people will be like, totally, I agree. Or maybe there's a push and pull where they're like, I think so. But what if we do a bit of this? You know, I think it's good. It's about the conversation. I think like it's great. I love when my clients have a point of view and say like, or at least this is what I don't want. I don't want that, you know, or if you come in with strong hair and I'm like, okay, well, if the hair is going to be uh, such a statement, maybe 
we don't, you know, go yeah. full on, you know, yeah. with the makeup. Yeah. And that comes also from working together. Like I, I know I'm, when I walk into a job with you now that no matter what, we're going to work it out and find the place that like ultimately you like, and I find a way to like, and, you know, I remember that we have worked together before and with other people where it was just, it seemed more apparent about other people's, um, and this happens all the time, like kind of agenda. And that's when things get dicey is when it's like, oh, but it's me. (laughs) Totally. Well, here's the main difference, right? Between like, so for any job, when it comes to hair and makeup, for me, it's always about the character. Who is this character? What's her place in this story? And it's not about vanity. Like seldom am I going to sit in a hair and makeup chair on a show or a movie and just be like, I want to look gorgeous. It's more about who's this person and like, how does she look in this moment? And sometimes it's like less, 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 or sometimes it's like, she, this is a woman that would wear a lot of makeup when it's red carpet stuff or a photo shoot. Well, even a photo shoot is a totally different thing, but if it's a red carpet thing, it is me, it's me. So at the end of the day, even though I do like, I've, I've found it helpful to sort of like sort of choose vibes and characters that will go in, you know, that we'll kind of talk about for the different looks that I'm wearing. This is a cleaner, like Audrey Hepburn look, you know, like we did for the the first time I went to the Golden Globes. Right. Or like, this is like, let's lean in exactly to my shaggy hair and do something like curly and cool. Um, I like to explore those characters, but yes, it's like sometimes I think you do have hair and makeup people who come in for red carpet stuff and they're like, this is my moment and I'm right. going to do this on you. And I'm like, well, I have to wear that <laughs> on my head and face. Like it's my body. And look at it on Getty Images. Forever. And, <laughs> and talk to people all night. <laughs> yes, look like up. I have to live in it. So, you know. So now what? It's exactly, exactly. So that's you, you have witnessed firsthand when I've felt like I had to really put my foot down about stuff like that. And but I'm you're so nice sad. about it too. It's not like, it's never like, it's more like a look where you're like, oh, okay, this, you know, it's well, not- it's ultimate. It's like, again, I'm like, I want your input, but, but ultimately ultimately this is the thing like let's work together to make the best version of this I'm not trying to put a a hairstylist or a makeup artist in a position where they're unhappy or doing like you know I want everyone to be happy with the the look we decide on but like I I should be the happiest (laughs) I I just think that at the end of the day that's it's you it's on your face it's your hair like you have to be the one who feels good because Totally. I've seen people go to red carpets where I could tell um, maybe the the choice, some choice made, whether it be wardrobe, yeah. um, hair or makeup, um, wasn't like they were unsure about it. And I, I actually think that comes across in the photo. Oh, 100 percent. I think I mean, you've also seen me in moments where I was like in tears you know, 10 minutes before we started doing my makeup being like, I don't know if I like this dress anymore. And it's so sad because it's so dumb. But like sometimes people 
you know, everybody's doing their job, be it a hairstylist, a makeup artist, a, a clothing stylist, a publicist. And people can sometimes make you feel like the stakes have never been higher. And totally. You know, your whole career is riding on how you look on this red carpet. And if you don't wear this dress and stand in it in the right way, like I've, but I've tried to learn how to take those things a little bit more with a grain of salt because it's easy to get wrapped up in them and then kind of get a little bit overwhelmed, you know, and I agree that then, you know, if you have that moment of like, oh God, I don't know if I'm liking the way my body looks in this dress, then I do look, it's a, it's a weird, complicated thing where I'll look back at those pictures and I, it's twofold. Like sometimes you'll look back at them and I'll be like, I do look a little uncomfortable. I wish I hadn't felt that way. Maybe if I had spoken up more, I wouldn't have felt that way. Often also I'll look back and be like, oh, I shouldn't have felt that way. I actually looked great. It's a shame that I got so in my head about certain things, well, you know. So as an artist myself, I've had to really learn like who to listen to and what who's important, whose opinions matter and whose don't. And I can't imagine as an actor, for me, it's my work. For you, it's you. How do you how do you um <laughs> well, like, you know, there's no separation there. It's like, how do you um, how do you do that when it's so when you're putting yourself out there to the world? How do you gauge what works and what doesn't at the end of the day? I don't know. I mean, I guess the first step is surrounding yourself with great people that you trust and also that you like being around. Like, I think that's something that I've had to learn about. Um, that's why I love working with you so much. Um, but just in terms of, you know, early in your career, I think it's easy to get steamrolled by people with strong opinions and agendas. And also sometimes to feel like, well, they're the best. They're the best makeup artist. So I just have to work with them. And as I get older, I'm sort of like, like I said before, you know, these people who I'm doing hair and makeup with, who's who's doing my styling from what I wear that's going to be the first thing that sets up how I feel for the rest of this whole long day. If it's an award show, that means hours. That means like a full day. And you want it to be good people. Like I find it really interesting when it comes to hair and makeup teams that if, if there are two people who are top, top tier, just as good as at doing amazing makeup, but I just like being around one of them more than the, then that's the person I'm going to want to hang so out with. Much. You know, it's like, I want someone that is going to be more chill and put my mind at ease, whose values are the same as mine. Who's like, not as intense. <laughs> I've like sort of pivoted and and, on a press tour or doing anything else. It's like, you're around, we're around each other all the time. Days, like, days yeah. and long, <laughs> very long days. <laughs> like it's true. I do think even on, and on a film set too, it's like, those are the people you're going to be with maybe for 12 hours a day. And they are, you, you have an intimate relationship with them because you are talking to them about like, Oh God, I have this zit that I'm self-conscious about. Or like, is there a way we can cover up this thing? Or it, you kind of have to have these sort of stripped down conversations with those people. So it is important that they're people that you like and trust. And I feel like now I'm filtering that into my work more. It's like part of the reason that I've started to write my own stuff or like, you know, as, as Davey was putting together uh, the crew 
Incast of the rental, he was like, I, the number one thing is I don't want any assholes. Like, yes, I want everybody to be amazing at their job, but also it has to be both. Like, I don't want the best guy, the best cinematographer, if he's going to be a dick. I want the other really good cinematographer that's like an amazing sweetheart. And then we can all have fun because like, let's be real. We have a really fun, great job. Like there's no reason to have a dick. (laughs) Totally. I think that that's kind of a consensus that uh, I didn't used to be that way. I think the industry tolerated a lot of bad behavior. Definitely. And I think now more than ever, you can't get away. Well, first of all, if you do, everything's known. Like people talk, it's social media. Like, <laughs> yeah. But nobody wants to be around that because on a certain level, everybody's good enough. Everyone's talented. Maybe somebody's better, yeah. but everyone's proficient and good at what they do. Yeah. So then it, a lot of it does come down to interpersonal relationships that you have with people. And the experience. And this is also not to say, like, I also think that it's not black and white, especially with you know, all personalities are different and interact with each other differently. So there might be a hairstylist that I'm like, oh, I don't click with his energy. I think he's not right for me. He's very talented, but our energy doesn't click. And maybe a friend of mine who's an actress is like, I love him. Totally. And I'm like, great. You should work (laughs) with him all the time. So I think it's about, it is also then about like self-empowering and sort of knowing, being able to gauge that stuff and be like, you know, let's maybe let's try someone new. Right. I think I do also have a great publicist and they have a lot of good relationships with hair and makeup people. So they don't, they steer me in good directions. Yeah. Like they freaked out on someone else, then they might yeah. not bring them around you. <laughs> exactly. Right. I get the benefit of their experiences as well. Do you remember your first red carpet and what it, has it gotten easier? Are they worse? Like how, oh, how has that changed for you? Yeah, I definitely remember my first one because I think it was for the um, the Mad Men like season one premiere. And I actually think that I think that I've got like this is such a long time ago. Um, you know, I think I bought a dress at BCBG and, <laughs> and I got like my boyfriend's friend's girlfriend who was just starting to do hair and makeup to do my makeup and like I did my own blowout and like honestly I look kind of cute but there's definitely a phase like all my early there's like I don't know probably a good year or two when I had first got a publicist and I'm on some red carpets and I'm just doing my own hair and makeup and wearing my own clothes. It's very nineties in that way. (laughs) Some of Um, it was super cool in that way. Like when people used to go to the Met ball and were not, so it was just like, and they went out for an evening and didn't look so costumey was kind of cool. Yeah. I was having this conversation once with Natasha Leone. We were doing like joint uh, glow orange is a new black press. And she was like, you know, there was a time before everyone had stylists where people didn't all look the same, all in the same top designers. Like people actually had a point of view and a personality in the way that they dressed. I feel like she's a person who really still does. Like even when she works with a stylist, she's like always looks like herself. And that's very cool. I think I, I know I'm sure I have a point of view, but for me, the journey was, especially with hair and makeup, 
it's all a journey of confidence. So I would say my three phases in terms of red carpets were phase one, have no idea what I'm doing, where like, I'm just kind of doing my own hair and makeup. (laughs) There's definitely some missteps. I'm kind of wearing my own clothes or every now and then you could tell that like someone sent me something or I got to go pull something from a showroom, but it's all a little bit, you know, uh, scotch tape and, (laughs) you know, and then there's a phase where like, I've clicked in and now I clearly have a stylist and people are doing my hair and makeup, but I'm too self-conscious to take any risks. So it kind of goes back to that same thing of like through my twenties, especially once I got on community, I feel like there's this phase where all my red carpet looks are kind of the same with like a red or pink lip and like, just like pretty girl makeup. Usually my hair is kind of wavy. Like, and then every so often it's straight shocker. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, it's, out of the, out of the norm where you're like, let's I'm- do straight. Like yeah. <laughs> that was the big risk. And I even remember early on uh, a makeup artist saying to me, like, this sounds so silly, but he was like, you're pretty. You don't always have to do pretty girl makeup. You could do, we could do stuff more fashiony. And I was like, no, 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 just get the red lip over mm-hmm. here, sir. Um, and I think that the transition, I was thinking it had to be glow because in my mind, there was something about cutting my hair like that for glow that really sort of, um, kind of like, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like broke down my own image of what I thought notion of my preconceived notions of beauty and that like I had to keep my hair so long to look like a pretty girl and like once I chopped it all off I was like let's do whatever the fuck we want like I because I already look kind of nuts and like it's kind of punk rock and let's experiment a little bit but but then I was thinking to looks even before that because we met way before glow and I think it honestly probably coincided more with like turning 30, which is a, maybe a weird thing, but I, uh, I, I feel like I just, it, I know that it coincided with gaining confidence and yeah. suddenly feeling like, I don't know, like I could just be a little more free and be a little more fun and have a bit of a point of view and try things that in the past I thought would make me look horrible. Like, you know, I have strong feelings about, eyeliner on the inner lid of the eye I remember that and (laughs) And then we did it and it was really like great I would say that's one of my all-time favorite looks it was the red carpet for um the disaster artist premiere and I wore my hair with my full like perm glow uh you know my perm shag it was like let's do the hair curly and In fact, when I was thinking about my favorite looks that we've done, I like screenshot a bunch of them and they were all like different, but like the, the theme actually was much more about like a cool eye and a really subtle lip, Mm -hmm. which was so not something I would have ever wanted to do in my (laughs) twenties. You know what I mean? I was just like, give me a strip of fake lashes, give me a bright lip. And as much blush as you have in that <laughs> box. Was that, was that the look that you had? Like, where, you grew up in LA, right? Yeah, I did. Uh, I grew up in South Pasadena. Okay. So I'm picturing South Pasadena. Like, was that what the girls wore that you brought into 
later like sometimes what you, what was cool in high school like i or college i feel like that's where people stay and that's where their makeup and hair like that's a reference point for the rest of their lives totally totally you know i don't know i actually think that that i had more confidence and took more risks when i was in high school and and in college and then like i even remember it because i used to cut my hair super weird. Like when I was in high school, I basically shaved my head. I mean, I cut it, my hair like super, super short. Like, so it was like an inch or two inches long and everyone at school thought I shaved my head. <laughs> wow. wow. Um, like shorter than Amelie, like, sh- like, Oh yeah. Like, like Sinead Winona O'Connor Ryder. Not territory. quite Sinead. I bet it was like, no, it was more like a Winona Ryder, but not, but short. It was short. I wish I could find, I bet I have like one actual like hard printed photograph or two. And and then, of course, it, that was a real mullet as I had to grow that out for like years. <laughs> that was a painful process. But then even in college, I was like cutting my own hair. I would just like cut bangs. I always had like kind of funky hair. And I remember and I went to art school. I went to Cal Arts, So it was like a pretty artistic, uh, accepting kind of place, experimental. Right. And when I was about to graduate college, I it, I had watched other girls at CalArts kind of go through the same thing where they had all these cool pixie cuts. And then before they graduated, they like grew their hair long so that they could go out into the world of auditioning for film and TV and have that real standard basic girl. girl. (laughs) Yeah, very basic, like ingenue look. And I remember being really conscious of that, like at the, during my senior year being like, oh, I got to grow my hair out this year. So like once I'm out in the world, I just look like a normal, pretty girl. <laughs> was that looking back? Was that a good idea? Like work wise? <sighs> I mean, I guess so, because it worked out. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. But, but I think it trapped me for a long time, especially with my hair, where I never wanted to cut it or do anything to it because I really had a fear of like not getting work. Like, it's like, I thought if my hair were above my shoulders, I was not going to get work, which is so silly. You'd be an extra forever. Exactly. But the weird part of that was I really had a desire to have different looks for my roles. And I remember that like in my twenties, any movie I would do, I would get the job and then I would go to them and be like, so maybe we should like, chop my hair into a bob and dye it blonde because she's kind of cool. And they'd be like, no, no, no. I mean, we can't, I mean, we just kind of sort of like the way it looks. So that's why we cast you in the part and we don't want to change anything. And I'd be like, oh, okay. Um, So that is where, again, kind of the glow thing really freed me up. Because once my hair was chopped for glow, I would finish the season and sort of be like, well, I could do whatever I want now because it's, and it, it's like weird. <laughs> I got to do something yeah. with it. It probably and, made you a better actress on the show. I mean, oh, it was great to feel like totally lost in that character, you know, like to just be fully inhabiting the character all the time. Like even in my real life when we weren't shooting, since my hair was always like that. That's so and funny. Then, and then it became fun, like. Again, like once my hair was cut so weird, it was like, well, now let's try bangs. Well, now for the rental, we dyed my hair blonde, like essentially for no reason. I just thought it would be cool for the character to look different than me. But it's not like you read that script and go like, she has to be blonde. Right. (laughs) Totally. 
So the people listening aren't going to, I mean, understand that you're somebody who really puts yourself out there. Like you are, you auditioned and you are on different series and you're always in different situations. So to hear you say that you had, you know, insecurities at times about that, like, but you also must have had an innate ability to put yourself to actually show up to the audition or to, did you always have that kind of ability to put yourself in a, in a room with people and share your talent? Yes, I do think I did. Yes. I think, you know, I was such a performer as a kid. I was always a real ham and Uh probably a real attention seeker (laughs) first and foremost. Um, and I loved performing and I did like uh, community theater in Los Feliz as a kid and like, you know, local, not, this is not like I was professionally auditioning for stuff. I was doing like summer programs, children's theater, and, you know, was really involved in my drama program in high school. But, but it's, it is an interesting journey when I, I realize I keep, I, I hope that I don't sound like a broken record with this confidence thing, but like, I had a lot of confidence in high school. You know, I hear a lot of people when they talk about their high school experience and, you know, they'll talk about it being really difficult or feeling so self-conscious. And I just did not. And I was not like a popular kid. I just knew who I was and I loved drama. So performance for me was my thing. It was my identity. It was like my outlet. And it gave me it was very empowering because I was sort of like, well, I don't care what other people think. I have my thing I like and I have my friends that I like and I'll cut my hair however I want and I'll wear what I want. And you found your people basically. Yeah. And I sort of was like, and I really didn't care what people thought about me. It was sort of like, if, if people don't like me, that's fine. If those kids are popular, that's their business. Like that's cool. And I'm over here doing my own thing with my people. Um, And I felt the same in college as well, like really, really um, adventurous and really wanting to put myself out there and take risks. And so if somebody gave you harsh criticism or something you took that way, you just shook it off or how did you... I mean, both. I think that there was internalizing too. I, I, I say all this stuff about being so confident. I do still have like three pages from a journal I wrote in once in high school. That's like, I hate myself. My friends <laughs> made fun of me for wearing an ear cuff. And they thought that I thought I was too cool. And like, I don't think I'm too cool. I hate myself. Like, so yeah. there's the flip side of it too. I think with a lot of artists, there has to be both, right? You, It's like, I guess I'm glad that I have enough self-doubt that it keeps me being a hard worker. Like I'm never just going to rest on my Lord. I'm never just like, well, I'm an amazing actress now forever done. No more work to be done or keep you from growing. Exactly. It's like, I'm going to always put the work in every job I get. I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to try to stretch myself. I'm going to try to learn because I have insecurities about failing or not being great. And then the flip side of it is then you get to set and you kind of have to be like, I got this. I earned this. I know what I'm doing. I've done the work. I am confident. Like, so a, a lot even of, with Steven Spielberg. Yes. Oh God. And oh, sort of, especially, I actually think <laughs> that was, this isn't fair. <laughs> I actually think that that was like a really interesting job because it, it, instead of making me more insecure, it was incredibly validating to, to think to myself, wow, I've put so much work in, 
to my career for a long time. And now I got a job working for Steven Spielberg and I'm going to be in scenes with Meryl Streep. Like if, if, you know, if I were no good, how could I have gotten that job? Like I had to have that sort of confidence going into that situation because you can't, Was it a choice to have that kind of confidence? Did you decide I'm going to choose to go into this with that instead of going in with I'm freaky, like, or it just is what it was? Probably a little bit of both. I mean, that's an interesting job because, I mean, I will say when I auditioned for the job, I really did not have any expectations at all. Like, you know, some auditions I go into and I'm like, ooh, I hope I get this, like, and I'm checking up on it, you know, immediately. And that one, I was sort of like bemused by the whole idea. Like what? I'm going to audition for a Steven Spielberg movie. Like, okay. Like, uh, and I went in and read for casting in New York. It like worked out that I was in New York just for a trip for fun. And they said, Oh, well, since you're there, the casting director's there. So instead of putting yourself on tape, go in and read for casting. And this is not to say, I I had low expectations. I thought there's no way I'm going to get this job. But if this is the woman who does casting for Steven Spielberg, I'm going to work my ass off. I read for two different roles in that movie and the scenes, the audition scenes, I don't think were in the movie. So they were like long scenes and I really worked on them. So you always put in the work. Always. Oh yes. I'm, I 100%. I think it all starts there and everything comes from that. And at the end of the day, it's like, Uh, If I don't do the work, it's probably if I don't do the work, it's probably for an audition that I don't think I'm going to get. And that's like a defense mechanism of like, well, I don't think I'm going to get this. And then I didn't do very much work and I wasn't connected to it. So the reason I didn't get it was probably because I didn't like really work on it. Right. You know, but for something like that, I was like, I want to I don't think I'm going to get this role in this Spielberg movie, but I want to walk out of the room and be like, yes, I made a new fan in that casting director and I really did the best I could. And I remember leaving that audition being like, fuck yeah. And still did not at all think I was going to get that job. But I felt really proud that I was like, great. Now that woman knows that I can act (laughs) and I did well and I just feel good about it. And I immediately flew home and chopped like three inches off of my hair. That's how much I didn't think I was going to be getting the job, which is a real no-no. Like usually- That's great. They're like, you're in a Spielberg movie with, you know, every (laughs) A-list legendary actor. Just make sure you don't cut your hair. Well, right. Usually it's like, you want to look the same way you look when you audition, right? So they kind of know what they're getting. It's like, it's truly the only time in my career I've ever done that because I used to be, again, terrified. I wouldn't change a thing. And that one, I was like, yes, nailed that audition. Let's chop my hair like to my chin, Um, the shortest I've had it in years. And I flew home and they were, and then I got a phone call being like, so Steven Spielberg wants to meet with you and have a sit down. He saw your tape and loved it. I was like, I I cut my hair. (laughs) (laughs) That was your first thought. (laughs) Yes. And even my agents were like, Allison, can you not cut your hair when we're waiting to hear back about a Steven Spielberg movie? I was like, it's too late in the future. I'll I'll keep it in mind. Um, So how long did you have to grow it back? not, I I had almost no time to grow. Well, I probably had like a month. And the craziest thing of all was that then I got to set and, you know, we were playing real people. I was playing Lally Graham, Catherine Graham's daughter and, uh, and Meryl's playing Catherine. And, um, I got to the hair and makeup trailer 
And the woman had a picture of Lally Graham from the year that we were doing the movie. And she had exactly the same hair length as me. And the hair woman was like, I think you might be the only person in this movie who's not wearing a wig. Oh, and I was just like, it was meant to be. <laughs> you acted like you did all the research. You were like, well, I was like, course. I know, I yeah. know, I, I, I'm aware. That um, is so funny. But yeah, so I felt really, I think then I went into it and I was like, I have to just have confidence because it's almost like it would be disrespectful. This isn't a moment for me to make it about me and my insecurity and be spinning out about some bullshit. It's a moment to really be a professional, to do my job, to really prepare and to come to set and be ready to like play, to like engage with Meryl Streep, like on the highest level of that. I, I am sure that's why you have had the success that you've had. I, I think that the more, if I can find myself getting a little in my head, I found it very helpful to make it about the person in my chair and be like, well, it's really not about me at all. It's all and put every bit of attention onto the work. Yeah. And then it kind of, you know, it gives you it because you can either focus on yourself or you can kind of put it out and do what you know you can do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the last, you know, we're going to wrap up, but I did want to say that Horse Girl was one of my favorite movies. I... And you know, when clients like are in stuff, you never know if you're, you're like, yeah, I'm going to watch it. I hope it's good because, you know, <laughs> totally. I'm have to be like, oh, I, I mean, I really loved it. And then I can't believe you wrote it. It was like so out there. It felt like a movie to me that the, the artist, the writer and the actor and director, it went straight into the project and didn't have anyone kind of cock blocking them or overthinking it. In a way, it just felt very pure. Like this was what your vision and you got it made in the way that you wanted it to come out. That That's exactly right. <laughs> um, well, first of all, thank you for saying that. that. The movie itself is just like the most special thing I've ever made because it's the first thing that I've ever written and produced. And also it was a real departure character wise for me. And it's a very personal story. I mean, not story, but thematically it's very right. personal. It's based on my, my grandmother's mental illness and her struggle with that. And my mother's, you know, struggles with depression and things like that. So it was all very personal, but it, the whole process was extremely freeing for me. And, it, and it's exactly what you said. I mean, it was born out of um, me kind of having an idea for a long time about kind of about wanting to do something about my grandmother's schizophrenia and like how it's had an effect on me, even though I didn't really know her, but I grew up hearing so many stories about her and like, you know, having a certain amount of paranoia of just having mental illness in my bloodline. Um, did you know her? No, I didn't. I, I, you know, she 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 had a very extreme uh schizophrenia and when i was a child i you know she it was their household was very she could be very abusive to my uh my aunts and uncles and my mom and i mean you know emotionally and physically and she was hospitalized for a long time and then when a lot of uh mental institutions were defunded um by ronald reagan in the 80s uh she oh right there was that 
well, you know, then that happened. And then she was homeless. She lived on the street. It was, I, I, my, I think my, my mom did try for a while to put her in an apartment and, and sort of help her, but it was really difficult to help her. They didn't have the resources to give her the care that she needed. Financially. Um, yeah, financially. And I'm sure also emotionally. It was a real complicated situation given um, the trauma that existed in my mother's upbringing. You know? It's just and so I, fucked up that like money should be a part of, of an, anyone's like mental health care. Yeah. Oh, you know? yeah. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, if, if, if only she had a, a trust fund, we could have saved her, you know, or oh, whatever. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And and money was a major factor, even like early on. It's like both sides of it. It's sort of, especially for the time period, like, you know, in the 50s and 60s for my grandmother, her family did have money and they would just throw money at the problem. You know, I was asking my mother if my grandmother was ever medicated um, for her illness. And my mom was like, well, she, you know, I would give her um, uppers to wake up and downers to go to sleep. And that's the kind of medication that people were doing like in Valley the sixties. <laughs> exactly. She, she had a doctor and that's what he was giving her. So that and wasn't then- exactly helpful. Did she self-medicate? I find a lot of people who have mental illness also were uh, turned to drugs and alcohol because they're just trying. And it's they're in my opinion, I'm not a doctor and don't know shit, but they're trying to self to feel better. You know, it's not coming from a place of anything else. Sure. I I would believe that she did. I actually, as you say that, I'm like, I I didn't dive. I interviewed my mother at length many times as we were in the writing process of Horse Girl, but I didn't really ask about my grandmother's like drug or alcohol abuse, even though, again, the drug, the pills thing were certainly like a real intense part of of the problem. Um, But but the nature of her schizophrenia was was paranoid schizophrenia so it was a lot of conspiracy theories and um too bad she know. wasn't around today because conspiracy theories have, <laughs> She'd are be now so normal i know um but yeah i remember seeing her i think we did see her a couple times when when my sister and i were little girls but then my mom actually kind of made a real conscious choice to not have my sister and i around her because uh, it was not a very healthy, uh, type of thing. Um, but I did see her once before she died and it was like surreal because it was sort of just, she'd been hit by a car, hit and run. She was in a coma in the hospital. And I just was felt very strange to sort of go with my mom to the hospital and look at this woman who just looked like a homeless woman, the way you would imagine a homeless woman to look like lying in a hospital bed. It was just very strange. And to see kind of the way that my mother and my aunt, were emotionally affected. And, and, you know, as a child, you, you kind of, it's like, a, it's, it's a lot to take on, on or it. to, or to understand you, you pick up on at, at the same time, you pick up on like a lot of nuance in a real like energy way, but also I, I couldn't, there was no way for me to fully understand the situation at that time, you know, and I didn't really know as much about it, but anyway, One of the things in the movie that I thought was genius was in the same way someone with schizophrenia doesn't know how to delineate what is real and what is not. As a viewer, I wasn't able to tell, okay, is this really happening or is it not? And I never knew. And I think at the end of the movie, I kind of thought everything just really happened. And then I was like, am I so dumb that it was all a hallucination or, you know, 
No, I love that. I love that that was your interpretation. I feel like Jeff Baina really doesn't like me to get into details about what was really happening because we like for people to have their own interpretations of it. Yeah, um, I agree. But I will say, but I'm so glad that you would say that because I will say that like my initial pitch that I brought to Jeff when I asked him to write it with me is I said, you know, what if you know, again, like to sort of like extrapolating it, taking it away from the, the, like a literal narrative about my grandmother's life, you know, and more translating it into like a, a space of like a, an artistic representation of like my personal fears about the subject. I was kind of like, what if there was this girl and, you know, she has this family history with mental illness and then she starts getting abducted by aliens, but she doesn't have the tools to know if it's happening or not. Like, how would you know? What if, what if you were, you know what I mean? Like that was kind of the whole premise is like, I I would love to make a movie where the audience doesn't know if that's happening to her or not in the way that she doesn't know. It worked. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the last thing I'll say, I, I so appreciate that. And I will say that like the cool thing about making that movie is that because it was so low budget and we had an amazing team, the Duplass brothers produced it and we made it for Netflix. And it's a real credit to the Duplasses because they had a close relationship with Netflix. So, so Netflix trusted them and uh-huh. they trusted us. And they basically, uh, Mark and Jay Duplass, you know, read it were totally into, they read the outline, they were totally into it. And they kind of said to Jeff and I, like, do you guys understand everything that's happening in this movie? And we were like, oh yeah. And we could talk you through it for three hours. They were like, we don't need to know everything. We just want to know that you know. And now we want you to go do it like exactly as you will. If you have the balls to bring us this crazy screenplay outline, then by God, go make the movie. Just make it, yes. And then it was like, the first time probably my whole career where I really made something with no expectation. Like I, I don't want to say it's not like I was just making it for myself. Like I want people to watch it, but the whole time it, it's really a reflection of like the kind of stuff I like, which I think surprises a lot of people that I'm a bit more of a weirdo. Like I have sort of weirder tastes than you might expect, but it was just really refreshing to get to work with Jeff in this bubble of like, a lot of people might not like this and might not get this and that's okay. We're going to do it the way we want to do it. And it's going to be weird and it's going to be surreal. And let's, and like, and there's going to yeah. be a funny rap <laughs> in it that I remember the rap scene was one of the funniest thing. I was like, this is so like, I was howling because it was just like the, the movie. It's like one of those movies where it's sad or, or things or crazy things are going on. And then you're just like, Oh, and this is so funny. And that's how life, is. <laughs> you know, yeah. Jake picking, by the way, really does just freestyle rap and a lot that we have. We're using his real music in the movie that he let us use, which is like so brilliant. I have to see if somebody uploaded that scene just to um, like YouTube or something so I can watch it again. Um, so before we go, here's a question that I like to ask everyone is if you were able to step into a magic time machine and go back in time, where would you meet yourself And if you were to tap yourself on the shoulder, what would you say? Wow. Well, I probably, I probably would go back to myself at like 25 and get to echo the same thing I'm talking about where it sort of seems like my twenties is where, as I was like first really starting to work where I maybe got 
like lost myself a little bit and really started was trying to do things a little bit more for other people or like very aware of certain industry expectations or even guys I were was dating, you know, their expectations of me. And I think I would maybe go to that, uh, my 25 year old self and sort of just remind her like, what's unique about you is what makes you amazing and wonderful and special. And, you know, fuck everybody else. <laughs> you do you girl. <laughs> yeah. That's the best way no, to go out on. Fuck everybody else. <laughs> Allison, yeah. thank you so much for doing this. I can't wait till this COVID is over and I can actually paint your face and uh, talk and have you in my real chair and not just on my podcast. I agree. I love you. It's so uh, nice to talk. Yeah. I miss you so much. Me too. I, I mean... <sighs> All right. So take care. And um, everybody check out Horse Girl. Check out um, all of the movies that Allison has come out this year. There's like 28. The of Rental, them. Happiest Season, Promising Young Woman. Just to just name checking. Just name yeah. checking. Yeah. They're all actually really different and really great. Thank you, Allison. Allison.